Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. You'll turn back to the passage that uh, Josh read in Acts chapter 4. That would be great as we uh, jump into things. Hope that video sets the stage a little bit as we go into our core values, uh, continuing our core values series. We're taking the first Sunday of every month, and uh, we're taking a break from our first Samuel series, and we're going through our core values, which are take, I'm sorry, not our core values, our doctrinal statement. So we're going one at a time, so we have a few left. Today is the church. That's what we're going to be talking about and going over, and um, so you're going to keep your finger in, in uh, Acts there, but I have a lot of information I'm going to go over before that, because I really want to make sure that we understand what the church is really all about, what God says the church is really all about. Because I believe we live in a day and age where I run into a lot of people that say, I love Jesus, but I hate church. And I get that a lot with younger generation, older generation, where we have this kind of pick and choose mentality, almost as if church to some degree is this smorgasbord of choices that I can kind of pick and choose what I decide to do as far as what God says in relationship to church and not really what he commands that I'm supposed to do when it comes to church. God is the one that established church. He's the one that decided the order of things. And we're going to see that as we go through the scriptures today. This has man-made elements to church, absolutely. Stylistic things are man-made. That we use technology as man-made. The version of the Bible that we use, the choice that we make off of the scriptures that we have, that's not used the same over in Bangladesh or the same over in Turkey or other places. We have a different translation of the Bible because we don't speak in those languages, but the church is always established on the Word of God. From front to finish, from first to last, from in the beginning to even so come quickly, the whole scriptures are to guide us in the way that God intends for us to do church. So it's important that we get that, and if you have questions about that along the way, even though we hope to cover as much material and information as possible, I don't have time to go over everything. You might want to come to the second hour class, but this is a big topic. And there's a lot of elements that go through it, but I find it can be a very toxic conversation because of people's perspectives as we come together and we look at what the Bible says about church and what our own experiences and feelings are as we relate to that. So if we're going to talk about what church is, we need to start, first of all, ask ourselves this question. Well, what is church? Church is made up, as you saw in the video, of Christians, believers. And so I thought we'd give a definition of what a Christian is. This is not the only definition. This is a definition. Every definition you read is going to have the same flavor to it. So for us today, as we look at this, what is a Christian? It's an individual that's recognized that he or she is a sinner and that he or she needs to be saved from the penalty of his or her sin by Christ alone through grace alone. It's nothing I can do personally. I have no power to save myself. I can't be good enough. The other cool thing is I can't be bad, too bad either, that Christ won't accept me as his child. And it's easy to be done where God designed it, where even a child can come to know him as Savior. So an individual who's recognized that they're a sinner. Otherwise, what am I saved from? Why would I want to follow Christ? What do I need him for if I can do all this on my own? And that he or she needs to be saved, understanding we can't do it from the penalty of our sin by Christ alone through grace alone. You can look that also up in Romans chapter 10 
and verse 13. If you have paper and pen today, I'm going to be covering a lot of scriptures I'm not going to have time to get into, so you may want to refer those um, on your own later on. But Romans chapter 10, 13 is a reinforcement of that definition. So if we're going to talk about the church, then we need to look at it in the framework of UPCC. So our doctrinal statement is what we're going to start by going over today. When it comes to the church, you understand that. So we're going to bring up the main paragraph of our doctrinal statement on church, and this is what it says. We believe that the church is the living body of Christ and is his representative in this world. We are the living body of Christ. The church consists of all believers who have placed their faith in Christ. The church finds its primary expression in local assemblies of believers dedicated to the faithful preaching of the word, the administration of the ordinances of baptism by immersion after salvation, and the Lord's Supper, and discipline for the purity of the church. That's our paragraph statement on the church. And we're going to cover a number of those things as we go on. But then we have bullet points on our doctrinal statement, and because of this topic, I wanted to take some time to at least read over them with you today so you understand. I'm going to be giving you a scripture reference for each of those. There was some um, underneath the, uh, the, the main one. And by the way, all of this is on our website as well. If you ever want a copy of all of our slides from a Sunday, all you got to do is email us. We're happy to get those to you. But the first thing is that we're distinct from the Old Testament people of Israel consisting of believers from Pentecost to the rapture of the church, which, by the way, the rapture has not happened yet, of the church. And that's Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, if you want to have a scripture background to that one. It's primarily under the lordship of Christ, its head, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. It's led by pastors and elders, or it's the same category, pastor, elders, served by deacons, and governed by the vote of the congregation, 1 Peter 5, 2, and Acts 6, 1 to 7. Now, let me stop there for just a second so we understand things. When we say pastor elders, we believe that the Bible teaches the New Testament a plurality of elders. Now, I have the role of lead elder. Part of that is because I'm full-time. I get paid to do this all the time. Part of that is because we believe that there needs to be that head shepherd underneath Christ that's leading and guiding things. But when it comes to our elder meetings and the direction of our church, I am one vote with eight men. So I am not the only vote. I don't have, my vote doesn't count for more. I wish it did at times, um, but it doesn't. Um, and God designed that plurality of elders. And I, I love it and I hate it at times. Why? Because I like to do my own thing sometimes. I want everybody to get on my page. My page isn't always the best page. And I love the unity that God gives in that. We also have deacons, the Bible says. And a lot of you may have grown up in churches where deacons really served in an elder role. They did the spiritual oversight of the church, and they dealt with the hands and feet of Christ stuff. The Bible clearly talks about deacons being the ones to take care of the day-to-day needs of the church so that the elders can focus on the spiritual nurturing, direction, and teaching of the church. And that's why we have two separate teams, elders and deacons. And then we believe that the body needs to be a part of that. We believe that church, church teaches the unification of the body on things. So what we do, as we talked about with Todd Smith, the elders go through a process. We affirm somebody that we believe will be able to fit in that role, but we don't just put him in place. We come to you then as a body and go, hey, now you pray about this, you think about this, and you decide if you can vote to affirm this individual in the role that we feel um, we should go. Same thing with um, buying property. 
Now, some might ask, well, why didn't the elders come to the church about the church plant? Because we feel that God gives us that direction and that responsibility that as we see the church grows, we're responsible for the direction of what takes place there and ask for your support of that by the way you financially give, by the way you serve, by the way we're unified together as we do that because we're leading the church in that respect. Next one. It's open to membership to all who confess their faith in Christ for salvation have been baptized by immersion after salvation and wish to follow the leadership and the direction of the church. Now, a lot of people say, why membership? Does the Bible say specifically anywhere, thou shalt be a member of a church? No, it doesn't. But if you look at the New Testament over and over again, it directs us to, by its language and by the polity, the government, the structure of it, that we need to be, have a, ver, a, a commitment to, at a level rather than just showing up on a Sunday, that we're on board with the local group, a body of believers. Now, we do believe that anyone that's a child of God is a part of the family of God. But as we mentioned earlier in our doctrinal statement, that God works through local bodies. When you read the New Testament, Paul wrote the, his letter to Corinth, to the church at Corinth, not churches, church at Corinth, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae, and so on and so forth. He wrote to a local body there, or local body of believers that was there. I can't be underneath the care of an elder if I don't commit myself to having someone be the person that's responsible for my oversight, or deacons that I ask to serve in that way if I've not committed to that body. Discipline. You can't be disciplined out of something that you were never a part of in the first place. So there's a lot of aspects of that, and I'm kind of just brushing the surface. I can talk to you more about that later. And that passage, by the way, it got a couple of them for you. Hebrews 13, 7, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse number 17. So open to membership, confess their faith in Christ, believe I'm a child of God, been baptized, I'm willing to follow the leadership. That's pretty much what our membership at UPCC is all about. The next one gathers for the purpose of corporate worship. That's what we're doing right now and edification, and scatters for the purpose of evangelism. And those passages are Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, and Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Now that's important that we understand this. We gather together so we can be edified, learn, grow, connect, encourage, and then scatter for evangelism. Now that's a big difference in philosophy from other churches. There are churches that set up, and this isn't a criticism of them, not the way that I believe, which is why we are set up differently, but there are churches that believe that the church service is primarily to bring the non-believer in so that they can hear the gospel and that they can come to know Christ as Savior. We believe the Bible teaches that we as a church are here to bring the believer in that they can be encouraged and taught in the, in the, in the, in the work, through the word of God to be encouraged and edified to then go out and share the gospel with others. Now, does that mean we don't want anybody to come into the church that doesn't have a relationship with Christ? Absolutely not. But if you're here, sitting here, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, we're singing about a living God. We're talking about the way that Christ changes us. And if you have not experienced that yet, then you aren't going to have a complete understanding of that because the Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We want anyone here that doesn't know Christ to feel warmly welcomed, but we want you to know that we direct our services to encourage, edify believers so that they can then go out and share the gospel with the whole world. Next point. <clears throat> is necessary uh, part of a believer's life and growth and is the training ground for serving God and each other. And you'll find that um, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. 
So we're here, which we're going to talk a lot about in the service, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that one. Next is independent of outside authority, both religious and civil, while recognizing its need to obey the laws of the land unless they clearly contradict Scripture. And you'll see that in Matthew 22, 15 to 22. Um, we do believe, even as Jesus, when he's talking about Caesar, give to Caesars what Caesars. God establishes government. Government has authority, the Bible says, the authority to wield the sword, the authority to tax. It has those opportunities. But if it goes to the point where government violates what we're able to do biblically, then that's when we would have to take a stand and go, we aren't going to listen to what government says. We have to listen to what Christ says in those situations. Nor are we responsible that there's a hierarchy that we have to listen to religiously. We believe that the scriptures is the hierarchy that we have that we need to be um, dedicated to and committed to in our day-to-day -day walk. And lastly, it's called to be separate from unbelief and, and, and unbiblical practices, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And that, that's huge, because our goal is to help you be discerning as the Spirit of God works in your life and you get in the Word of God personally to understand what the Word says about belief and how to understand what, what not to believe biblically. And the best way to do that, which I've mentioned before, the way they train people about counterfeit money isn't by showing them counterfeit money, but by teaching them to know well the real thing. And we want you to know well the real thing, the Scripture, so that when unbelief comes along, and believe me, one of the downsides of technology is you can get bombarded with all kinds of good things, so to speak, but if they're contrary to the scriptures, we have to go to what the word of God says. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Be very careful that feelings don't dictate the way I believe. It's got to be what the scriptures say that dictate the way I believe. Because feelings will lead you astray often. The scriptures will not. So that's, that's UPCC. Uh, that's what we believe when you join the church. That's what you committed to your belief. If you're here considering that, that's one aspect of our doctrinal statement that we would say, hey, can you sign off on this? Do you believe this? Can you embrace this? So, and, and by the way, that's again on the website and uh, all those scriptures I have, I, I'd be happy. And there's more in our, in our doctrinal statement as well. So what I want to do now, though, is let's step back. So, and again, we could have taken time to go through all those scriptures, but I want to give you an example, starting with the New Testament church, when Jesus had the disciples start the church in Acts, <clears throat> and usually we go to Acts 2, which is one of the passages I shared with you just now. Acts 2, great passage, but it really deals a lot with the formation of the church. <clears throat> what I find is interesting as we jump over in chapter 4 <clears throat> is that you see the continuation of some of those philosophies or those principles that they were to live by that show us the biblical framework of the church. So let's read here in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 32. <clears throat> and the Bible says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him or to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now that first phrase there, now the full number, that means everybody, there was a unity, the full number, not part of the number, the whole number, the full number of those who believed. Now, that word believed is an interesting word. It doesn't talk about just a simple belief system. For instance, for me to say, I believe, I'll get really controversial, because I'm not an Eagles, I'm, not, I'm a Packers fan, so I can say this. Um, I support the Eagles, especially playing against the Vikings. Uh, but the, uh, if I were to say, I believe the Packers are going to win today, 
that's, I can believe that all day, and they might get beat by the lions today. That, that doesn't mean anything. Nobody should put any stock in that. I may even have reasons why I believe that, but there's nothing, thus saith the Lord, foundational that you can, that's just my opinion on stuff. And we can believe a lot of things that are our opinion, or even believe it for good reasons. You might believe that if you jump out this window, you're going to die. That's probably going to happen. It may not, but it's probably going to happen. But to understand with this word belief, it's a bigger one. It's stepping back going that you have come to that point where you fully embrace Christ for who he is and what he did and that accepted that personally. That's that belief that he's talking about there. So he's saying this church, they had everybody together, the full number. Man, I would love it if some Sunday we all made a church at the same time. And I know there's lots of good reasons people aren't here today. But man, wouldn't it be awesome? But it wasn't even about that, that the full number, like everybody was sitting in their seat that week. It was saying everybody that was a part of that the whole group, present or not physically, the full number of those who believed had a relationship with Jesus Christ. What's that next phrase? We're of one heart and soul. There's that unity. Now, we are never, ever all going to agree on stuff. If we laid out food in front of you all here today, some of you would see certain items on there and go, wow, I cannot wait to eat that. Some of you, all I'd have to do is put food up there and I'd have lost your attention, so it doesn't matter. I'd probably lose attention if it was all laying up here. You know, smells and sights and, you know, you look, and some of you look up at items up there and go, I am not touching that. In fact, I hope that doesn't get anywhere close to that food that I want to eat up there. There's going to be diversity when it comes to that. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about that on the fundamental things that matter most, the things that keep us together that one soul and one heart. So here's the question to ask yourself. Is there something that's between you and another believer in here that has come up that stops and puts a wedge in the relationship between you and that other person? Then we're not of one heart and one soul. So what do we do about that? The Bible says that if somebody has done something, that I need to go to that person. Why does it have us go when we think, but I'm the person that was wronged? Because I find this, at least 50% of the people that I get upset in some form or another, I have no idea that I upset them. I, I do something unintentionally. They misunderstand me. Now, sometimes I'm just an idiot. I'm a sinner. I do bad things that I shouldn't do. But there's times I do things, and I had no idea. I had a person tell me recently, and I think most of you that know me, they were like, yeah, I was at the grocery store, and you were in the next aisle, and I said hi, and you walked right by, and that was just rude. I'm like, Wow. Usually that is not me. Usually I know everybody that's in the grocery store when I walk in. Not everybody in the grocery store, but I can almost sense, I think there's two people in the store I know today. Um, <laughs> my wife, on the other hand, doesn't have any idea who's in the store at that time. We're very different, you know, made makeup. So for me to just ignore them, I said, well, listen, I, I, I you know, and then their question was, why'd you ignore me? I didn't ignore you purposefully or knowingly. And here for the last couple of days, they've been ticked off about this. I happened to send them a text, happened to, I think the Lord guided that, just checking in and they're like, well, actually, I'm, I'm mad at you right now. Whoa, well, I called him right away. What's up? I said, no. They said, well, yeah, you're right. You know, and I was having a bad day and we unpacked it and praise the Lord for going through that and it brings us back together the way we're supposed to be. But that creates division in the body. Folks, we can't in any way share this with this world, what it means to understand the forgiveness of God in our own lives if we can't give it to each other. And grace. I always ask myself this question. If everybody in the church treated the functions of the church and the way that God 
tells us to do church, would we have a church that would be successful the way that God would want us to? So man, if I was, everybody was here as often as I was here, if everybody gave grace the way that I give grace, if everybody financially supported the way I financially support, if everybody did, and you can go through that. And some categories are, oh yeah, man, check on that one. Other ones, whoo, no. So it's always a good gut check for me, but a big one is, Lord, if the way that I'm showing grace and forgiveness to others, the way that you would want me to show grace and forgiveness to others, for the sake of unity, we all have our preferences. Nothing wrong with that. But when they become a stone in your shoe, that's a problem. Now, anybody has a brain in their head and you have a stone in your shoe, you don't go, I'm going to suck it up. No, with pretty quickly, most of us go, man, that's not good. And we take the shoe off and we knock the stone out of it. We put it back on and go, okay, that feels a lot better. We all know, but why don't we go to our brother and sister? Because we always imagine worst case. I'm going to go to them. They're going to pull out a bazooka and shoot me in the face. Now, maybe not physically, but verbally. Most of the time, that's not how bad they are. In fact, I will say this. Most of my best friends are people I've had the biggest arguments with. And God's united us through that. As we all act biblically through that. That's what God's intention is there. So God wants us to be a unified body of believers. That was his goal. They had one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. And we're going to hit that a little bit on the next verses down. But unity, folks. So can I encourage you today to look at your heart and just ask yourself, is there something between you and another brother or sister? Don't say, well, if I go to them, they're going to blow me off. If they do, the Bible says that you've done what you need to do. If you go to them, the Bible says, and they don't respond, and the Bible even says how to deal with that, then you bring somebody else with you. It's all laid out there for us, but we don't do it oftentimes because I'm afraid, because I'm uncomfortable, and a lot of times, I know this hurts, I'm unwilling. Well, they're just going to act that way again. I've never seen anywhere in Scripture where it says, well, since they rejected you that many times, never go to them again. And let me ask you a question. Would you ask the Lord to point out to you in your life if there's anything that you have in relationship to another brother and sister? That's a problem that you need to go to them and take care of it. And a lot of times we can sense that. Man, they're just, that person isn't talking to me anymore. They don't respond to my text. They're not this. Go to them. Hey, is, is everything okay? Now maybe they'll go, yeah, hey, everything's great. Sometimes, well, actually, like my text this past week, I have a problem. There was a unity. The church is unified. Secondly, verse 33, <laughs> the church is gospel-focused. Great, look at, listen to this. I love this verse. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I love that part because it doesn't have a numeric, um, oh, they did this and all these things happened. It just said that great grace was upon them as they went out and told the story about Christ's bur- death, burial, and resurrection. And like, wow, that was exciting, and, and, and it impacted lives. I know I've shared this before, but man, this is one of the most powerful things that I've learned along the way. I grew up in an environment where I thought it was my job to get people saved. And this is what our job is. Our job is to go share the gospel, because that's you're either planting the seed or you're watering the seed, and then God gives the increase. So don't be intimidated if you give somebody a track or you share with them verbally or you shoot them an article or a text or you get in a dialogue. 
you be the vehicle to go share with them the story of the resurrection of Christ, the good news that changed your life, that gave you hope, that gives you a promise of eternity to come with Christ. Our calling as a church is to be gospel-centered. That means we don't go, praise the Lord, I'm glad that Pastor John's talking to people about Jesus. No, that's saying, who are you coming into contact with that God wants you to talk about Jesus? Well, I don't know what to say. Ask questions. Hey, so what do you think about God? Almost always when people, I ask people questions like that, at the end of it, they go, well, what do you think about God? There's some great tracks that you can use. Yep, those are still great tools that are out there. There's great opportunities where you can look online of, of resources that are there. But that never happens usually. You get that random one-on-one -on -one person, but it's amazing how many times, too, a relationship leads to an opportunity. Get into their world and see how God opens that up. And I'm telling you this. I've said this before. If you pray that God will give you opportunities to share the gospel, he will give you opportunities to share the gospel. And I always say, Lord, help me to be aware of the people you put around me that you want to share, me to share the gospel with. There's no magic formula. Just be willing. Pray that way and then see what God does. But are you willing? Are you even willing to do that? I encourage you to, to pray that prayer today. I love that. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Verse 34, the church is generous. <clears throat> we read in verse number 32 how that any, anything that somebody had need, they had everything in common. Then in verse 34, it reiterates that. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And we'll get into that verse in a minute. So you see the spirit of generosity. Now, what does that mean for us? That means for us, do I have a spirit of generosity? <laughs> it, do you really think and live life with open palms? Now, finances may be easier for some of you. Yeah, I'm willing to write checks. I'm willing to help people out. And it's really all about saying, is it all God's, and then am I willing to be extravagantly generous with it, even at the point of pain for myself? Boy, but if I give that, I won't have enough money in my retirement account. But if God directs you to do that, well, if I give it to that person, they're going to waste anyways. Yeah, but if God directs you to do that, it's not about what they do, it's about you being obedient to be extravagant in your giving. And it's not just finances. What about time? Boy, that's a precious commodity nowadays, isn't it? But are we being obedient to go, Lord, if you want me to do this, I'll do it. I'll give up of that time to do it. Because it's not your time. They were willing to go out and go, where are the needs? <clears throat> then how can we take care of them? So here's a question that hit me with, am I even looking for needs? See, I get so tunnel focused sometimes. John's world, you know. John's stuff, God. Just a minute, God, I got my stuff. Instead of going, wait a minute, God, my life is yours. So how can I have your vision when it comes to everything I have? Time, talents, treasure. And for those of you that can write checks, don't go, well, I can write checks if you're not willing to give your time. And those of you that can give your time but can't write, think you can't write checks, don't think, well, I'm doing good. No, it's all of it, folks. Is your life a life of, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because it's all yours and none of it's mine. Why don't we do that? Fear? Well, if I write that check, if I commit to that time, if I have that conversation, if I, then we're afraid of what God is not going to do. Well, he won't take care of me. He will. You know what we forget? We forget what he did. I mean, look at the Israelites again. 
The Israelites, they see God. I mean, they saw God do these incredible things. I mean, splitting water in the Red Sea, sending down fire from heaven, all these amazing things. And yet you find him again going, but will he let me down this time? No. He who has begun a good work in me will bring it to completion. Part of that good work is saying, Lord, help me to live in a generous mindset. And that needs to be the focus of the church. Um, Bob just went over our finances um, last Sunday. I think it was last Sunday. <clears throat> and one of the things he said is, hey, this is what the giving's been, and this doesn't include Generosity Sunday. And it's funny how many people I talk to about that. Generosity Sunday, for those of you who are visiting, last Sunday of the month, everything comes in. We give to ministries, organizations. We give it all away. And the reason, we picked that one on purpose, <clears throat> because we know that if we were going to talk about generosity as a church, the hardest offering to give away is the end of the year one. Because that's usually the biggest one. Those that are trying to squeak in on taxes and other things. So we knew that was a hard one. But we also knew that we couldn't tell you as our body go, hey, we need to be generous. And then for us to go, except for the church. Organized. And so we as a church, individually and organized, need to be living that life of generosity. Not just in speech, because, you know, I'm, I tell pastors that we do that, and I get this often, oh, we could never do that. And I always say, why? And it's good to be able to say what we do, but then sometimes God will go, but John, then why won't you give in this area? <laughs> oh, yeah. Lord, help us as a church and individuals to be generous. The next thing we see is the church organized, verse 35. And it connects into 34 a little bit. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed as each had any need. <clears throat> now, God's a God of order. If you read the Old Testament, you get that. In fact, I tell God often, Lord, did you need to say, and the tribe of Levi did this, and then the tribe of Manasseh did this, and then the tribe of... Can't you just say all the tribes did this? I think God was trying to stress... I'm a God of order, and everything I do has a purpose and a plan, and God set up the church. And I am a big local church guy. I believe greatly in the kingdom of God, but God put me in a local church, and I'm going to work at this the greatest I can, building partnerships with other churches to be able to see God's kingdom advanced. This is not our fiefdom. This is part of God's kingdom. But God establishes local churches. That's God's plan. And because I'm such a big church guy, boy, I run into people all the time that go, Pastor John, why are you so big on church? Because God's big on church. I didn't just come up with this, hey, I know Sundays are a really good time for people to go do things. Let's have a church worship service on Sunday morning just so people can't go have fun. No. We do it because God calls us to meet once a week. Now, if we met Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, would that be okay? Absolutely. But God calls us to gather together. God wants us to make us a priority as a body. And as purpose, you see, they brought the money in, they brought to the apostles, the apostles distributed to the needs of the church. There was structure, there was order. God set up elders, he set up deacons, he has the body a part of it so they can go out and do the work of the ministry. There's order and structure to what God wants. So folks, it's not about doing what I want you to do. <clears throat> it's not even about doing what our doctrinal statement is all about if it's not in line with what the scriptures are all about. It's all about his word holistically, what it teaches for us to be obedient in. So you see structure there. They brought it in, gave it to the apostles. Apostles made sure 
<clears throat> that the needs were met. And then the last thing, <clears throat> the church is you. They give a, I don't know why they picked this guy, but God decided <clears throat> through the Apostle Paul to give us a picture of one person. And it says this, Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Man, wouldn't that be a great name to have, son of encouragement? Son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We don't know anything else about him. We don't ever hear that guy's name ever again. So why did God throw that guy in there? To bring down to that personal example that all this stuff we do corporately, but it all starts individually. You and I have to decide, am I willing to do what God says God's way? Am I going to make God's priorities my priorities? Being a part of a church, giving, serving, looking to, to share the gospel with others. Am I willing to do that? Because that's a perfect little example of this guy, Joseph. Nobody knows. We know he's a Levite from Cyprus. We know that he was got that's nicknamed Barnabas, son of encouragement, and he sold a field and he gave it, and the apostles took care of it. It doesn't say, and Joseph was the greatest guy in the world, or Joseph was blessed by God because of that. That's the other thing. Well, if I'm obedient, I'm gonna be blessed by God. No, not always. Man, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm obedient and then something bad happens. Man, God, what? Because it doesn't work that way. It's be obedient regardless of what happens. So there we got Joseph. And what a challenge to each of us, because we could put any of our names in there, and what would be the little story behind it? Would it be the positive, or would it be, oh, and John, and we know some of them, and Demas, yeah, he forsook us. Ouch. We all know Demas because of that. Alexander the goldsmith, because he brought charges against us. But then you got guys like Joseph who went out and did what God called him to do. What would your byline say? Oh, John, well, he never made God's priorities his priorities. He didn't live generously. He didn't live in a Bible-focused way. He wasn't willing to share his faith. The church is you and I. A couple application questions. I've already woven them into the message, but just to kind of wrap things up here. So what are you going to do to protect the unity of this body and of the kingdom of God? Folks, we all know, we just got done with another, you know, political, you know, fighting, polarization, attacking, whatever the case might be, and our world is fractured majorly, and it's not going to change. What brings unification is when we, as the children of God, live the way that God lays it out and shows the world out there that we're going to live life differently, not because we're better than them. We're not. In fact, sometimes we're worse than them but because we're willing to submit to God's word and follow God's plan to be the people that God has called us to be. And the most ridiculous things I do are not John's ideas. They're as God works through me and helps this broken human do what God calls me to do in obedience. It's our job to make sure this body stays unified, just like you can disunify this body. So again, I ask you, as I did earlier, are you doing anything to bring disunity in this body? in an individual relationship, or in a bigger way, because God says that we're called to bring unity. And if not, I encourage you to make that right, whatever it takes in order to do that. Are there areas you need 
to live your life in generosity. The second one. I know that as I was preparing this either, and I look at things, because it's so easy to just say, yeah, I can do this and do that. And it was almost as God said, John, stop bragging about what you do and look at what you don't do. Hey, now, John, what about that area of your life? Are you willing to be generous there too? Whew, I don't know, God. I don't think I can do it. And that's when God goes, that's okay, because I can do it through you. I can do it in spite of you. I can use you to be my story and not your story. So last question, how does God want you to take that next step of ownership of this body? Say, well, I'm a member, now what? Then it's saying, okay, Lord, what else can I do to take ownership the way you want me to? Perhaps it's saying, hey, what about membership? Hey, what about serving in this area? Hey, what about taking on this responsibility? Hey, what about dealing in this and following through on this passion that God's given to me? I don't know what that is, but I know that God teaches ownership. There's two little books. Anybody that joins or wants to join our church, we always give them this book. I'm a church member. It's not that it's like the only book out there, but I love it because it doesn't talk about membership. It talks about ownership. UPCC is not about just signing on the dotted line, and now I'm a member here, and I get benefits because of that. It's saying, I believe in this, and I want to be an owner of this body and take responsibility of this body so that the kingdom of God can be advanced. And you might think, well, how am I doing that changing a diaper? Because as you're changing a diaper, a mom and dad is up here being taught and being able to exhibit ways that they can learn to become the child of God that they want. I'm chasing around a two-year-old, yeah, so that other people can serve in other areas or be blessed in other ways. We all work together. Not one job's greater than the other as we serve each other. And that's why we give this book out. Do you ever want to look just a great book? What is a healthy church book? I have that if you want to borrow it. I, was, I used that for some of the stuff I was doing today. But I want us all to take ownership. Now, if you've been a member since the beginning, it's time to reflect on what does ownership like, did, look like now. Have you lost your passion? Has this just been kind of mundane? I mean, we're almost nine years old, so yawn, okay. Are you brand new? Have you not yet? Then just ask yourself, what does ownership look like for you, and how can you take that next step? <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we thank you. <clears throat> we thank you today for your goodness to us. We're thankful for your word. We pray, God, that you would just use us to be able to embrace what it means to be your church. And you put us in this church, God. And we pray, God, that we will take the ownership that you've called us to take and be able to make the difference you called us to make for your honor and for your glory. Help us, Lord, to all each evaluate and look at our own lives and what that looks like in our situation, Lord. That we can do what you've called us to do, not what I expect, not what the elders expect, but what you expect of each of us to do. We ask in your precious name. Amen.